Welcome to the Quillette Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Kay, a senior editor at Quillette. Quillette is where free thought lives. We are an independent, grassroots platform for heterodox ideas and fearless commentary. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by going to quillette.com and becoming a paid subscriber. This subscription will also give you access to all our articles and early access to Quillette social events. And this week's guest is Canadian-Mexican YouTuber, Twitter maverick, and heterodox women's rights firebrand, Megan Murphy. Though the word guest isn't quite accurate here, since technically the audio you're going to hear originates with Megan interviewing me on her podcast, which is called The Same Drugs. And no, I'm actually not sure why her podcast is named that. Anyway, Megan and I go way back to the mid-2010s, when both of us were starry-eyed Canadian writers in a state of what might be called ideological transition. Megan was a Vancouver-based essayist who was trying not to get sucked down into the purity spiral of progressive Canadian identity politics. Meanwhile, I was an editor at a progressive Toronto magazine, engaged in an analogous kind of struggle. And after a year or two of this, we both ended up achieving escape velocity from the gravity well of Canadian political orthodoxy. Megan, in particular, gained fame in 2018 for getting thrown off Twitter, temporarily as it later turned out, for rejecting the idea that trans women are actually women, as opposed to men with gender dysphoria. Or put another way, she's a major so-called TERF, that is a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. And thanks in part to Megan's influence, I guess I became one too. During COVID, Megan moved to Mexico, but we stayed in touch and I have periodically done Zoom interviews with her for her podcast. And the one you're going to hear excerpts from this time around was recorded in mid-April. We covered a lot of subjects, including disc golf, pickleball, movies, fast food, liberalism, UFC, and the amazingness of baseball god Shohei Otani. Megan isn't a sports fan per se, but she does have a pronounced interest in protecting women's sports categories from biological men, a subject that got us into a recent Quillette article I wrote about how the Professional Disc Golf Association has dealt with this problem. We also spoke about mixed martial artist Fallon Fox and the medical damage she inflicted in the ring to female opponents. Plus, we shared thoughts on Shannon Thrace, an author whom some of you might remember from her December 2022 appearance on this podcast, in which she spoke about her new book, 18 Months, A Marriage Lost to Gender Identity. Megan and I also touched on some of the same questions about feminism that I raised with activist Kelly J. Keene, also known as Posey Parker, on the April 21 installment of the Quillette podcast. As it turns out, Megan spent her university years studying feminism closely, so she's something of an expert, even if, like Kelly J., she no longer calls herself a feminist. That may sound like a broad mix of topics, and it is, but as you'll hear, whether the subject was sports or gender, a lot of what Megan and I talked about came back to the same basic question of how people organize themselves into social tribes in this age of affinity groups and pronoun checks. I feel like it's been a long time. I feel like it's been a year or something. I think it has been a long time. Yeah. 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 And in the meantime, you've been playing disc golf around the world? I think there's a lot of hobbies that people have that they're just like, okay, when the pandemic is over, this is weird. I'm going to stop doing it. I think some people had relationships like that. (laughs) Um, I had a sports car like that, that I promised my family I'd I'd sell when the pandemic ended. And I did like a midlife crisis car. And then the the crisis mysteriously ended as soon as the pandemic was over. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
all that ivermectin cured my crisis. So <laughs> it killed all the worms in your brain. <laughs> <laughs> but you would think disc golf is exactly the kind of goofy thing that you would think, well, okay, as soon as the pandemic's over and you're allowed to do like real sports, you'd stop playing disc golf. But I didn't. And and not only did I continue to playing disc golf, I even included disc golf turfily into my journalism because I actually wrote an article about trans women in disc golf. I heard about that. Somebody yeah. messaged me about this. We know that it's been infiltrating sport, but we didn't know that it would infiltrate disc golf, it which is not like under. a super, <laughs> no offense or anything, but it's not like the most popular. No, so that's the weird sport. thing. Okay, so when Leah Thomas made a mess at the NCAA swimming championships, the whole world knew about it because people care about who the fastest swimmer in the world is. But then you've got all these other sports, and obviously disc golf is an example, but like I just got a message today about a sport that may be even nerdier than disc golf, if that's possible, which is pickleball. Have you ever seen pickleball? Yeah, you yeah. know, pickleball, it's, it's so sport. strange because it totally just blew up and yeah. it seemed like almost oh, yeah. out of nowhere. And I had actually heard about it at least a few years ago, and I was like, that's a really dumb name for a sport. It's and a then super I didn't dumb name. hear about yeah. it for so however, long, and now it's everywhere. Like, However, I did for like a period of three days. I convinced my 10-year-old that you play pickleball with a pickle, and she believed me. I mean, that would make sense. <laughs> it totally makes sense. However, as goofy a sport as it is, there's this biological man who identifies as a woman who's dominating tournaments because men are like gods on earth, right? That is <laughs> well, and I bet there's not that many women in pickleball. Oh, there are. Oh. So that's a are common... There? Okay. Com well, look, so I haven't played a lot of pickleball, but... Just before you started taping, I was talking about how I was in Mexico, but I was far from you. Mm -hmm. um, your fans know you're in Mexico, right? Like you don't, you yes, don't pretend to be. Yes, they know where I am. Okay. <laughs> to no, pretend but... to be in Vancouver, yeah, but like hot, no, tanned like... <laughs> and sweaty. <laughs> no, that would be the sort of thing where you have like a poster of the Vancouver skyline behind you. And it's like, <laughs> totally. Where is that rooster coming <laughs> yeah. from? <laughs> but the place I was staying at had like eight pickleball courts and it was super popular. And yeah, and at least, at least half the players were women. Uh, oh, it's, okay. And there was another crazy thing. This is at an American college where, I don't know if you saw this, there was an assistant coach on the women's basketball team, 51 years old, six foot six, and he started playing games with players, I guess, close to a third his age, because they were actual students at the school, <laughs> you know, like 18 years old. So <laughs> he's like... 33 years older than these people, and he's playing on the team. How did he get away with this? You've probably seen photos I of think this. I, I think I have seen those photos. Because yeah, the photos like, are more... he's a giant man yeah, standing. Yeah, so you see all these, little... these women who are, you know, typical. So the photos become very famous. And yeah, if you're, <laughs> if you're like my age, there's a certain sort of shamelessness. I mean, that's the thing we, we always ask ourselves. Like, putting aside all the issues of politics and, and the rules committee and testing for how much testosterone you have in your blood you often just feel like asking these people like have you no shame like yes is, uh, like if you're not embarrassed by this is there anything in life that you would find embarrassing and you would stand on a podium and everyone's watching it's kind of like an adam sandler movie in some respects where, <laughs> or, or like you know back to school which is this ancient movie <laughs> hollywood guys around a table it's like okay get this will ferrell is going to inherit money from his uncle who's a basketball fan but the will states that he's only going to get the money if he plays on a college basketball team. 
when I was younger, like people made movies like this, Tootsie and Casual Fall. Well, and of. like some like it hot is two guys try to disguise themselves as as women because they want to. What is it? They wanted they want to do their their show and they wanted girls and not men. Do you remember the movie? No, I don't. Oh, you um, should remember it. You're older than me. I know, but I assume you were talking about porn because. Like, <laughs> Sorry, you I, know uh, that old classic. Yeah. <laughs> so no, anyway, it's from yeah. like the fifties or something. Okay, how have you not seen some like it hot? I just want to explain to you what so this I is. I only watch animated movies. Oh, okay, and and not anime movies. Like you only watch animated movies and Adam Sandler movies. So I have, so I have, <laughs> I have three kids. Actually, so my youngest kid is ten, and soon she will age out of the sort of Minions, Despicable Me movies. But I love those movies. We are very excited about seeing the Mario and Luigi film, which is I like I like animated movies. Yeah. But I only kind of watch animated movies because I'm super freaked out and scared by like any sort of thriller. I don't like those either. I couldn't even watch Breaking Bad. I couldn't watch uh oh. Sopranos. I don't like violent stuff. You so didn't if... watch Sopranos? So I've watched half a season of every great tv series i watched half a season of 24 i watched half a season of sopranos i watched half a season of the wire i watched half a season of breaking bad until you would I... have died if you tried to watch the walking dead by the way the walking dead no. when i first started watching that i couldn't sleep for like months but i always tap out I kept at watching the first though. gross scene like breaking bad i tapped out when that bathtub went through the floor and i was like mm. oh that's disgusting i'm not watching this so, yeah so to the extent i watch anything on tv or movies um, okay, and you must have just, you must not be into old movies or something, because, okay, so Some Like It Hot is a 1959 American comedy starring Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis, Jack Lemon, and the plot is that these two guys who sort of has have like a musical comedy act that they do in lounges, Joe's trying to woo one of the girls by disguising himself. <laughs> this seems like a terrible idea. What if- <laughs> now I'm confused. I've seen this movie a lot of times, and now I'm reading the plot. I'm like, what the hell is going on? I, also I know I'll disguise <laughs> myself as a woman, and that'll win her over. <laughs> like, Never fails. Never he, yeah, he, but he did. He like befriended her. Okay. Anyway, very transphobic. Yeah, no, and also More sounds like those actors you mentioned. I, there's a lot of whiteness. Jack Too Lemmon, much whiteness, super sure. white actor. Yeah. How did this Sorry. turn into? So a, how did this into? Oh, it was disc golf. That's how we got here. Is it you okay. were talking about disc golf and you'd mentioned that actually disc golf again, nerdy, geeky sport, but it's it's an interesting case study for the following reason. Disc golf is a very young sport. And one of the reasons I like it is it attracts a lot of really relaxed people. It's not like regular golf where you go to a golf club and there's a dress code and it's expensive and typically, you know, you have to wear a collared shirt, you can't wear jeans. You certainly can't bring your dog. One thing I like about disc golf is I can bring my dog. No, it's, it's, how many sports can you bring your dog? You know? No, it's awesome. Like, yeah. I totally agree. So, and, like, usually they have them, like, I've encountered disc golf courses in, like, parks. And so yeah. you can kind of oh. just show up and have a beer and play with your friends. Yeah. Mix, they call it, yeah, mixed-use parks. But as a result, the culture around it is very progressive and very tolerant, which I like. So there's, because it's not a violent sport, the league I play in, it's a mixed league, so it's not uncommon for women and men to, to play together. It's not a macho sport. And as a result, the idea of inclusion was a very well-intentioned concept. Like, who doesn't want to be inclusive? And so it's natural that when they're making rules, 
and someone says, I'm not Henry, I'm Henrietta, they're like, okay, well, you know, let's play in the women's league. Great. You know, uh, have fun. And and, and I, I so think that was, that's yeah. probably how it started out. But I also, then I think about, I wonder about the kind of male who would push for that, who would try, like, if you think about yeah. Fallon Fox, yeah. like, I think Fallon Fox went into there's that like famous fight where he yeah. cracked a woman's yep. skull, but I don't, I think he didn't say that he was male. Like, I think he didn't, I, I think he just identified himself as a woman. That's knowing that's a, that yeah. wasn't true. That's a particularly awful case because you're actually like beating the crap out of the other person. So if you're right. biological male getting to the ring, different with, than disc golf, I suppose. I, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't say it is, a sport without its physical hazards, but punching people <laughs> in the face is just certainly not one of them. Hi everyone, host John Kay here, with a brief interruption to remind everyone that Quillette isn't just a podcast. What we're mostly known for is our website, quillette.com, where we publish lots of great essays about many of the same topics I discuss here on the podcasting airwaves. If you check out Quillette this week, you will find Peggy Sastra in conversation with the two women at the center of the 1977 Roman Polanski sex scandal. And by the way, a shout out here to Madame Sastra, who also does the translations on our Quillette articles that appear in French in the magazine Le Point. Also, the latest installment in Greg Cable's acclaimed historical series, The Nations of Canada, Julia Friedman on nudity and art, Lawrence Krauss on complaints about white privilege in the world of academic physics, and New Zealand writer Diane Landy on the fictionalization of indigenous history in the name of gender ideology. All of that and more at Quillette.com. And now back to the Quillette podcast. The lengths people will go to, to put a medal around their neck are just incredible. I remember it was ages ago, but I saw this documentary about guys um, in some kind of crazy, you know, those competitions where like how muscular you are. Like a bodybuilding like, competition? Yeah, it's like they're, I yeah. think they literally like grease their bodies and they appear on stage and they flex. Yeah, them. and they do really weird diets and they dehydrate themselves and yeah. they get yeah. fake tans because yeah. it accentuates their muscles and it's it's pretty strange. Yeah. Um, well, I was, I was more detailed than, than I knew, but uh, thank you. Um, that, that was... <laughs> I'm not sure why I know that. <laughs> um, but the thing that I remembered was that a person being interviewed on one of those documentaries and, and w was asked about the life-threatening effects of these steroids. And the guy said, if these steroids make me die within the next five years, but I win this some gigantic competition they were training for, but if I win this, I don't care. Like, I don't care if I die in the next five years as long as I win this. That's strange. It's super strange, but, and I think it, that's an extreme example, but all of these people who, you know, trying to get to the Olympics, they have a drive to win that, that I don't think people like you and I could understand. I mean, I'm sure you're a decent athlete. I like to think I'm a decent athlete, but we're not. I would never athletes. do, I would, I don't have the drive to train or to compete in a way that endangers my life in any way at all, or even my health. I mean, I feel like my working out and exercise is for my health, not against my health. That's that's the thing. I do it to look good on podcasts. <laughs> you know, You've been doing a lot of like, what, jaw workouts? <laughs> I, well, yes, at McDonald's. It's... Uh... <laughs> You know, I notice yeah. you eat so much fast food and I cannot believe it. Like, I feel like if I, I haven't eaten fast food in so long. And honestly, I find, sorry, but I find fast food actually kind of gross. Like, I don't, yeah. 
I, I don't eat it because I know it's bad for me. But if I like, I would rather eat good food to be honest, but you love fast food and you're not fat, which I think is weird. Uh, I I think I, like everybody else, I, I'd love to lose weight, but I'm one of these people who exercises fanatically because I know I'll never be a good eater. I know I'll never be able to resist. Remember that book from 15 years ago, salt, sugar, fat. Yeah. So, you know, the three, the three vices and, and I'm three for three on that. I, I have to exercise compulsively to, to tread water. So uh, how much do you exercise? Like, what are you doing? The health advice they give people who are in their like 30s, 40s, 50s, it's, it sounds stupid. Get a dog. Because if mm. you have a dog who requires a lot of exercise and it's like 3 p.m. and that dog is staring at you and you know maybe you walk the dog in the morning but it hasn't had like real exercise, that often is what it takes for you to say, you know what, I'm going to finish this work in the evening. I'm going to go to the park and... Like I live near the ravine here in Toronto, which is is great. You know, so like I'll go with my dog for a two hour hike. You know, it's not Olympic training, but I know so many people who who during COVID didn't do anything because their favorite whatever yeah. their favorite thing was, their favorite thing was closed. And they said, well, if I can't do my favorite thing, whether it's going to the gym or whether it's I don't know Zumba size or whatever the hell they did. I'm just going to do nothing. And those are the people, unfortunately, who, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I sort of, I, I love pasta and I love cake. So I also have to work out because otherwise I wouldn't, I would, I wouldn't be able to eat those things. Well, you're or I you're would in Mexico sadder, but... where, where the food is amazing. Yeah. There's um, lots of good food. Do you speak I, Spanish now? Mm, my Spanish is not great, but I can order my food and stuff that I want, and I can operate at like the tienda, like at the little stores, and I can count to I would say fifty. All right, uh, this, this is like <laughs> Dora the Explorer Spanish. It's, it's yeah. more than I used to know. I kind of meant more like conversational. The, the, yeah. God, no, no. Okay. I mean, I just I thought I would sort of pick that up, but it's much harder than I anticipated because you like it's like one thing for me to be able to say a sentence, but it's another thing for me to be able to understand when somebody you look more Spanish though. You look more Spanish. Is that like <laughs> your hair going up? That feels kind of like oh, that's just because my hair is sweaty. <laughs> oh, I thought it was like an. An homage to the flamenco tradition or something. No, okay. it's just dirty. Yeah, okay. I, just didn't, I just didn't wash it after the gym. Well, today. that's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, we were talking about the disc golf thing. And, okay, but tell me, there. so there's a controversy. So a male, this, has this only happened one time or is there like a larger phenomenon no, of males it, um, entering into disc golf competitions with women? There was actually one person they were in their 50s they're actually from netherlands not only were they winning age tournaments but they actually joined the board of directors of the the governing body and and this is not an uncommon phenomenon we dudes are good at taking over organizations when we're really good yeah super good and and again this person following the rules but like you know once you're on the board of directors then it becomes more personal because if then they set rules that are restrictive in regard to trans people, well, you know, there's a trans person on the board and we're not being inclusive. But then where the rubber really hit the road was the highest elite level female tournaments, there was a biologically male player who started winning them. As soon as that happened, things moved very quickly. And disc golf actually set what I think is a really good rule. They said, you know, at lower levels, sure, go nuts. 
But at higher levels, pretty much if you've gone through male puberty, you're not going to play disco. And oh, actually, the that's impressive. It was impressive, and it's not what people expected because, again, it's sort of this sort of you know touchy feely sport, kind of like ultimate frisbee, where it's like you expected they wouldn't be hard ass about it, but they were, and I was really surprised. You know what the key was, and I'd love to see this done in every organization is they sent out an anonymous survey to all their members, to tens of thousands of people. And it was anonymously. It wasn't like, who in this room wants to deny Just trans stand people? up yeah, in yeah. front of all, yeah. everyone. Yeah. Explain and, how transphobic they are. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and maybe get fired. <laughs> and I'd stand up and you'd stand up. To your credit, you, you know, you've gone on speaking tours and you've, you've been that person in the room. But not everybody wants to be that person in the room. And I interviewed female disc golfers, some of the greatest female disc golfers in the world. You say, well, why don't you speak out? And they said, look, let's say I speak out and nothing happens. A week after that, I could be on a disc golf course in a quartet. And one of them could be, you know, a trans woman. And it's awkward. It's like, well, you know, I've been campaigning to have you not here. And I get that. Mobilization is difficult because unless you know you have the numbers to make it work, then you become the Karen, you become the problem. And so what happened was they sent out tens of thousands of people got, I actually got the questionnaire too, because I'm a member of the PDGA. And then they published the results. And it was really interesting because most women did not want biological men in their division. But you saw that the better the women are going up to the elite level, it was like 80% of the women said, I don't want biological men here, keep them out. Who would have thought this sport would establish best practices for canvassing the opinions of people? In my interview, and I put it in the article because my article preceded, these women, elite female athletes says, we believe 80% of our peers don't want biological males competing at the elite levels. Sure enough, the survey came out, the survey data came out, it was 81%. Huh. So their estimate was correct. And yet they told me that if this was done publicly, only two or three of them would speak out. This is really interesting because a lot of people blame women for the trans phenomenon because they say, well, women went along with this. Women supported this. Women are so stupid to have let this happen to themselves. You know, this is screwing women, but women did it to themselves. And they said trans women are women and yada, 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 because there are a lot of women that have gone along with this. That's true in some ways. And, you know, like I tend to think that has to do with socialization. Some might argue it has to do with something innate in women that they're more inclined to get along and not cause conflict and be polite and all of those things. But it does go to show that a lot of women are saying this, but they don't necessarily want it and that they definitely don't believe it. I don't like to make generalizations about men and women because... Because we're all exactly the same. Yes. There's because no it, difference there's, There were no us. difference. Yeah. It just, <laughs> um, and so how could you ever know that there was any difference between yeah, a man and a woman? Yeah. Uh, Can't make generalizations. No, that's absolutely not the reason. So, <laughs> so I live in a household of, of females. So I'm married to a a she her and I have three girls and it's been it's a very educational experience because when I talk to people my age who have like three boys their experience as parents I mean it isn't better or worse it's just complete it's just completely different I have talked about this kind of stuff with people in my family and it's interesting because often they will say this is my wider circle of of female friends and, and, and family members they'll say well of course it's ridiculous to have a biological male weightlifting. 
-hmm. Like that makes no sense. And, and, and they recognize it. But then if at their school, they have a trans person come in for like one of the 17 holidays devoted to trans people to give an inspirational speech, they will be there and they'll be clapping and they'll be inspired by it because they're in a room full of people who are also clapping and say they're inspired by it. They join in the kind of rituals of affirmation that are part of the cult of inclusion. Mm -hmm. And so they're torn because if you talk to them individually, they wreck, they're not ignorant. Like they know the science, they, they know it's ridiculous, but a big part of their life are about rituals of inclusion, you know, social life, social media. You know, someone puts on their Instagram, oh, isn't it amazing a drag queen came to our school and taught us all about dildos or like whatever. <laughs> and they're, they're like, well, 47 of my friends put heart symbols on it. So I guess I should put a heart symbol on it. But yeah, then you talk to them. I'm and supposed so to like this. Okay. Yeah, no, it is. It's like, well, you know, there's rainbows and it's kind of looks like my little pony and Cool, whatever. open-minded. It's on the CBC. Yeah, you know. Um, and, and by the way, I do that stuff too. And maybe not on the subject, but you know. I mean, I like things that I don't really like just to be nice on the internet, but usually it's like the picture, a picture of somebody's face or them doing something that I think is stupid. And I'm like, oh, this is stupid. I'm not going to like it. And then I feel guilty. So I like it anyway. Sorry, people. I don't like all of your faces and activities. For me, it's more like getting <laughs> swept up in the Olympics or something like that. Have you ever been like watching the Olympics in some stupid sport? It's like, yes, Canada won tetherball. And like, <laughs> like, you just like, That's you never want... happened to me, no. <laughs> no, but you, you want, you see everyone else cheering for it. And so you cheer for it. And a lot of the rituals of inclusion are structured like that, where they're like rallies or the I am jazz stuff. Like, have you ever seen these videos on Tumblr where, I mean, they're mortifying, but they're supposed to be inspiring, where like some confused looking 16 year old girl with blue hair and a bad fitting t-shirt gets up in front of like a county fair and tells everyone she's non-binary and like everyone claps and she starts crying and then goes and hugs her mom that yeah I and you're like what are people feeling inspired by exactly i look at it girl? and i say this is so cringe but if i were there megan i'd probably be clapping because we're human beings and maybe women more than men i don't know but men certainly aren't immune to it we all like bonding rituals. We all like the idea of feeling we're in a community. Right. I mean, that's what's exciting about watching sports is that like everybody's cheering for something together and it does feel exciting. And I don't care about sports really almost at all. But if I'm at like some sports event, then I will kind of get into it because that's a fun thing to do. In a tribe. Sure. What? I will say that, I mean, with regard to the cheering for like a non-binary girl or like whatever the cause is i do think that women are more inclined to do that and i say that as a woman and as a woman who's like gets annoyed by other women doing this all the time because i feel that i'm expected to do it also and i'm not really that kind of person well that's it's a nurturing thing and we and all i'm agree. not very nurturing oh no we all agree that you don't have to <laughs> waste bandwidth saying that yeah it's I no mean, the other yeah. thing i was gonna say that i like without meaning it is people's babies people post a baby and i'm like ugh. And then, then I'm like, oh, I feel bad. I should like it, but I'm okay. doing it just to be nice. I don't really like your baby. Okay. So, um, that just okay, um, my personality. Again, <laughs> much information. So look, the baby thing, I get it. It's like, I was like that until I had my own kids. When people analyze what happened during COVID, because during COVID, everything shut up. Mental illness shut up. People thinking that they're non-binary shut up. People thinking they have ADHD. I talked to a psychiatrist. You know what? He was saying, forget the gender stuff. He's got kids coming 
into his office. This is actually someone I played tennis with in Mexico. The place I was at was full of Canadians and half of them were doctors. So he's a child psychiatrist. And he said, there's this explosion of kids who think they have Tourette's. I and, noticed that yeah, recently. And, Isn't and so, that weird? And this happened during COVID because what happens is, again, everyone wants to feel like they're a tribe. So it's like, well, I'm team non-binary. You don't get it. People on my team get it. Well, I'm on team trans. Well, you know, I'm on team this. I'm on team that. I have a theory that a lot of, obviously not all of it, but a lot of it is based on the fact that our normal tribal identifiers, including professional sports, weren't available. Like, especially mm. guys. I know so many guys who their sense of tribal belonging is the Toronto Maple Leafs. Totally. The Toronto Blue Jays. When I lived in New York, people were just upset. I lived in Pittsburgh. And my God, the way they talked about the Pittsburgh Steelers was insane. Like, they were just... They there do are, it in San Francisco, like, and they try to, people try to do it to me, even though I'm clearly not a man. So why would I care about your sports? Yeah. But like you get into an Uber and the Uber driver's like, oh, the Niners did it. Like anytime there's a baseball game on, everybody is talking about the baseball game and, and everybody UFC. assumes everybody else yeah. is talking about the, the baseball game. Yeah. I mean, I actually like UFC, so I would be okay to That's talk about weird. UFC. But I, <laughs> I know I don't know why this find, but like I don't really like any sports except for the beating up ones. Oh, uh, see, so you no, know, that's the one I, I don't like the the, the fighty I ones. Love UFC. I, I, but it's definitely the case that human beings being social creatures, I think they need a sense of tribe. Yeah. And and in the age of social media, sickness can become a tribe. This Tourette's thing, it isn't just that these kids are coming in and saying, oh, I have Tourette's. Look, I have a tick. They're coming with crutches and they have stims and they put on these giant earphones because they claim to have environmental sensitivity and they claim to have 17 different allergies that don't exist. And then you realize, you say, why the hell is this kid creating all this stuff? But then, you know, the parents look at the search history and it's like they're a part of 150 different support groups for Calgary area Tourette's teenagers who are also non-binary or whatever and you realize that they're self-selecting into tribes to me it's a it's a very creepy and unsettling way of tribal identification but think about it. we live in an age where we're not allowed to be canadians because canada is a genocide state built on a mountain of indigenous skulls and so like patriotism has gone out of fashion in the progressive corners of the internet competitive sports for two years no one was doing it and then there's people like you who who don't like it unless two men are... Unless there's blood. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and people just become very alienated. That's interesting. I didn't think about think that. About affinity groups. Have you heard this expression, affinity groups? No. So on Canadian campus, it's because you, you live in Mexico and you're probably just reading the I've Mexican newspapers. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're just hanging out at the bodega, just hanging like out talking about Mexican politics. Yeah. Eating tacos. <laughs> big, <laughs> big sombrero. On <laughs> Before those horrible stereotypes, what, what was I talking about? Affinity groups. Yeah. So the big thing on, on Canadian campuses is what is euphemistically known as affinity groups. And what is an affinity group? Well, an affinity group, and this is happening at University of Manitoba, it's happening at Toronto Metropolitan University, aka Ryerson, it's happening uh, all over the place on campuses. And what they'll do is they'll set up a room or a club or events that are like only for black people or only for indigenous people. Hmm. And they won't say, oh, this room is racially segregated, but they'll say yeah. this is reserved for the black person affinity group. And then when you read through all the euphemisms, because I've, I've written about this, it's basically a racially segregated space. 
And of course, they say, no, 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 it's not racially segregated. It's just these are people who have this affinity, which is based on skin color. And the group is only for people who have that affinity. And I'm like, how stupid do you think people are? You're describing segregation. The whole thing is based on the idea that there's too much stress for a green person to be in a room with a purple person. And that's a terrible message to send to students at university. They should come to university to, to learn to be with purple people and green people. Like it's just, it, it should be part of the experience. And not like these people are going to be hostile to you because of your skin color, or they're going to treat you differently, or you're going to, you're going to experience what taught, some yeah. kind of trauma yeah. or microaggression. And, you're going to have like a bad experience yeah. if you're around these people, right. because they're not like you. Yeah. And, and there's, and by the way, there's always a, a grain of truth to this stuff. It's a hundred percent true that when I went to university, I had experienced anti-Semitism in life a little bit, not much. I doubt there's an indigenous person in Canada who, by the time they get to university, hasn't experienced some kind of anti-indigenous racism. Racism, it happens. Like I'm not one of these people who thinks the forces of racism were defeated when the civil rights bill was signed. Racism is part of the human condition, unfortunately. Yeah. However, I don't think it's a good way to deal with racism by telling people stick with your kind. That's a very toxic kind of tribalism. It's the kind of tribalism that says you will, you know, you can identify a person you can trust and with whom you can feel safe because they look like you. That's screwed up. And I don't care whether you call it an affinity group or you say an enhanced diversity initiative. You sometimes hear language like this. The least interesting component of a person is their skin color. Because I'm not religious in my whole life, I've never joined a Jewish club because like, what am I going to do? Like, just watch Seinfeld with these people? Like, it's just... <laughs> again, if, if I were super religious, of course I would join a Jewish group. It's called a synagogue. And I would go there every Saturday and I would pray. But I'm not religious, so I'm not going to like, well, I guess I'll join a Jewish backgammon club so I don't have to deal with those Gentiles every time I play backgammon. Like, it's not the way I approach life. I think humans... Like, racism is a little bit inherent to human beings. Yeah. And, and often it's like positive racism. So... Hasn't happened recently, but I remember very specifically, I've had people who basically said to me, oh, you're Jewish. Who do you think can help me with my taxes? I remember I said, like, no. Were you I, insulted? I, well, no, but so the person who said this, maybe he had been to like his cousin's wedding and there were Jewish people there and there were a lot of people sort of in that industry. But it was interesting because when he said it, at first I was offended, but then I was like, actually, I know a ton of people who can help you. And, <laughs> Yes, the right guy. When I was a lawyer, I worked at a tax law firm in New York. And it's true, like most of the people there were Jewish. It was just, it was our thing. And I, I have to admit, a lot of those generalizations, they may be true, they may not be true. But to the extent they're true, sometimes they're true of industries or professions or, you know, waves of immigrants find different Black people really do seem to be better at basketball. I'm 100% not going to go there. Um <laughs> I mean, um, if you just look around. But actually, this is one of the things I love about baseball. Baseball is a truly multicultural sport. Yeah, so, yeah. So the greatest... You athlete, even have, like, fatties in baseball. Yeah, I mean, they're not... Fat-ish. You know, fat you, you deposit them in your average Walmart. No Wasn't Babe say, Ruth fat? He was. He was tubby. And, and the Blue and Jays an have a guy... Blue Jays have a guy named Alejandro Kirk, who's my height, and is 260... No, 235. Yeah. But racially, the greatest, so in my opinion, the greatest athlete in the world right now, Japanese, I guess Japanese-American, Japanese, Japanese baseball player called Otani, who, like some of the great baseball players of Babe Ruth's era, is both an incredible pitcher and an incredible hitter, which is the equivalent of like, imagine, I don't know what sport you're familiar with. Not like, baseball. Uh, or what about UFC? Like he's, yep. he's no. super good at punching and he's super good at kicking 
kicking you? Can you kick in UFC? Is that? Yeah, yeah you can. Are do you allowed to kick? Yeah, you can punch and kick and then take them down and wrestle on the ground. Can you headbutt? Like, is there any part of your body you can't use to strike them? You can't poke someone in the eye. You can't headbutt them. You can't bite or like use your fingernails. Like I've seen a fight get shut down because a guy got poked in the eye. And I don't even think that was intentional. Can you tickle? I hope not. I, like I if hate, you have like the guy. Tickling is like the I worst know. kind of torture. But that's, that's to me, that would be the way to get me to tap out. I've, I don't know if that's specifically illegal, but I bet if somebody tried it, it would be considered offside. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but so anyway, this guy is a one in a million baseball yeah. player. No, but I'm saying right? baseball, so on an average evening of baseball, you will often see incredible players who happen to be East Asian origin, great black players, Spanish-speaking world has produced, probably on a per capita basis, more great baseball players in recent decades than any other part of the world. Yeah, and you'll see guys who who look like me. You know, I was at I was at the baseball game two days ago, and it was Jackie Robinson Day, and even you know who Jackie Robinson is. Right? You know, he, he broke the color barrier. He's first black player admitted into into the major league ranks, uh, and his number was retired not just for any one team. He played for the Dodgers, but for all of baseball. I, I happened to be at the stadium, in Toronto, you know, watching the Blue Jays, and it was a sellout crowd. It was like forty thousand people. And everyone was cheering. Everyone there loved baseball. The Toronto Blue Jays, very multicultural team. It's just this incredible feeling. And I was just thinking, we're here applauding the destruction of the, the color barrier in baseball. Like everyone in the stadium who's cheering recognizes that segregation was this evil thing. And these are ordinary people I'm surrounded by. Uh, like they're not like Twitter people. But then, you know, you look on Twitter or you look, not just on Twitter, but like in Canadian universities and stuff, and they're going in the opposite direction. They're talking about affinity groups. It actually, I find it upsetting that some of the smartest, most hyper-educated people in our society have such short historical memories. They've short historical memories for the advances of feminism. They've short yeah. historical memories for the advances of liberalism. They're all convinced that liberalism is a dead end, due process and free speech. That's all just white supremacist bullshit. It's sad because... They're not dumb. They're they're smart, well-intentioned people, but on many of the subjects that you know I've been rambling about, they're just they have staked out anti-liberal positions that fly in the face of important historical lessons. Uh, you know, intersectional feminism. No one would look at me as an expert on feminism, but I can safely say that intersectional feminism is bullshit to the extent that it teaches us that. Alan Fox gets into a ring and gets to beat the crap out of, out of, out of women. Like it's just, there's right. And intersectional feminism really pushed the woman part out of feminism. You know, feminism was supposed to be about the women's rights movement. And then it became this ideology and then it became intersectionality and postmodernism so and gender it, theory. And so is intersectional feminism, does it count as a wave because you know how like feminism comes in waves and I always get them confused. Intersectionality was a part of the third wave, like a big part of the but third how many wave. Waves, like how many waves are we are we up to? Three. We're still in three. From what I in as far as I'm concerned and I know a lot about feminism. <laughs> I have some degrees in it. Yeah. Um 
I mean, some people like to talk about like a fourth wave, but that's not really how the waves work. Like first wave feminism, as we know, was about the suffragettes and the vote and also about property rights and things like that. Um, the second wave, which was, of course, you know, the 60s and 70s ended in the early 80s. And that was about reproductive rights and like sexual harassment in the workplace and rape and um then there was also the radical feminist movement began around then so then there was some stuff around pornography and stuff around like beauty standards and then the third wave started sort of like in the 90s with like riot girl and punk and like i'm a proud slut and and it turned into this everything can be empowering if i feel like it or if i choose it you know like these high heels and this makeup. And if I choose to put myself in this pornified outfit on the internet and that makes me feel good, then that's empowering and that's feminist and sex worker rights are human rights and intersectional. And it became very much, it became very academic. Feminism sort of moved into academia and gender theory, which is how it got so enmeshed, I think, with intersectionality, which was an academic theory, like articulated by Kimberly Crenshaw um and then you know all this Judith Butlerian gender theory and then trans and so on and so forth so but women what, really got pushed pushed out so I I know you didn't prepare that because I asked you on the spot that was actually a very good capsule summary of 50 years of feminism in like three minutes thank you that was pretty I've good. been at this a long time now. yeah thank well you. <laughs> I mean that was impressive but so I was not to name drop but I kind of will so earlier this this week, I interviewed, she used to go by the name of Posey Parker. Oh, yes. Uh, She's yeah. my friend. Yeah. Well, I figured you all know each other. Yeah. And uh, you do taxes together. And I... <laughs> I should do my taxes. I know a guy. You <laughs> really should. <laughs> but, but, but I asked her, it's been so long since feminism has had a new wave. Why don't you and her just say, fuck it, we're fourth wave or we're fifth wave or or declare intersectionality... And that whole like trans woman stuff, maybe say that's the fourth wave and create a fifth wave. I'll leave the details up to you and you can put the numbers. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great if we did that? And then we were like, this is all John Kay's idea. We we were talking to this man and he had this great idea. Listen up, ladies. (laughs) How did we come up with this? (laughs) The reason I say it is because nomenclature is important. And as much as I like gender crit, and I also kind of like turf. I, was, I remember I was talking to Helen Joyce, who's who's also quite the turf. That I admitted to her that I th- I find turf a funny word because it rhymes with nerf. And <laughs> and and she was saying that Helen Joyce was saying I she literally like, never even thought of that. Before. It does. Like, you're well, probably the only person that was like nerf was a big nerf. big <laughs> part, nerf is a big part of my life when I was younger. Um, it's <laughs> by bet. the way for those listening, it's like the soft, spongy, foamy material that they made footballs out of and stuff. But my point is that you don't have a really good name. I, I mean, gender crit sounds very academic because it I've has never word, liked gender. It gender has the word critical, critical in it. Like, so it sounds I don't identify myself as gender critical. It's I don't like to say like the gender critical. It does. It's because ac- it's academic. It sounds pretentious. Right? Yeah. And, and, and also. But also like it's not to me. That's really not the essence of what what i'm saying anyway right. maybe it's the essence of what some people are saying but i don't think it's really that's not the point point. and when the you have the word is, gender in it you're playing their game and women and yeah. like 
what's a woman and what's a yeah. man and why do women need some spaces where men aren't allowed in it's not yeah we're critical of gender identity ideology but i want to forget gender i talk about women's rights or i talk about the women's movement or i'm just very specific about what i'm talking about like right. i don't really want to talk about feminism and feminist anymore because it nobody really knows what it means it means all sorts of different things it doesn't necessarily mean anything specific to women it supposedly means intersectionality like but it's also that like i don't want to be attached to an ideology and i don't want my view of the world and my analysis and my understanding of what's going on to be driven by an ism like i just want it to be driven by what makes the most sense um and maybe what's the most ethical so I just started to find it limiting, honestly, which is funny because, you know, like, I don't know, five or 10 years ago, if somebody had said that, I would have been really angry. It's like, I don't want to be boxed in, but I don't want to be boxed in. I want to be able to, like, think what I think and support policies that I think are good policies and question things without and you know talk to whoever I want to talk to without being accused of not being a like good feminist, which I was all the time and so at a certain point I was like okay well then I'm not and now can I just do what I want to do so, and think how I want to think and and I found that feminists are very feminists are like very into purity politics and right. very into like the policing of what other women and other feminists are doing and they're very into cancel culture even the turfy gender critical ones so yeah. they just have the they don't like the gender identity ideology stuff and they don't want to be canceled over that but they'll cancel other people for all these other uh, you're a racist like you align with these men who are according to me a misogynist and you know that's an anti-feminist view or you're a capitalist yada 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 and i don't i don't like that you know if women are incapable of leading this movement i'm putting <laughs> I, so can i actually sounds I like you guys need a leader <laughs> But what has Mexico taught you about these ideas? I mean, I assume many of your friends are English speakers from Canada, the United States, but like, how do Mexicans do feminism? Well, what I've learned is that most people in the world do not care about the things that the progressives of Vancouver care about. And most people are like, just interested in like living their lives and taking care of their families yeah. and having fun and surviving. And that, you know, the people who claim to care the most about the BIPOCs really don't know anything about what BIPOCs. these people of color, BIPOCs you know, they, such a terrible word. It well, they, sounds... Yeah. I mean, they've lumped anybody who's not white into one big chunk, which is crazy no, because but it also even within Mexico, like... there's a lot of diversity and, and you know, class yeah. in Mexico, people are very divided by class. Yeah. Like if you go to like where I am, there's like a lot of working class people and you know, and if you go to Mexico City, there's a lot of like people with a lot of money who are very light skinned, like the the skin colors are it's you know, you can see class. Right. And actually this this um, pretty well-known steak chain here in in Mexico has caught seating people. They described it as seating people according to race. But really what they were doing was seating people groups. according to class. Affinity oh, God. <laughs> they were just seating people with the people they felt most comfortable with. So like yeah. rich people with lighter skin. People here are not policing your language. What I learned is that n most normal people throughout the world are not engaged in the kinds of conversations yeah. that the the progressives of Twitter. But that's are. the irony. In intersectionality is essentially a hobbyist 
endeavor from the ultra privileged class. It is. It's an, yeah. it, these are elitist conversations about nothing that matters to anyone. Although, you know what's interesting? I don't know if you've made it down to Argentina or Brazil, but my understanding no. is that some of the trans stuff has has actually penetrated into South America, again, especially like... I've heard that it has in Mexico City because via the university. But also via like glam culture, putting aside gender stuff, certain countries in South America, plastic surgery for wealthy women is just a huge deal. It's it's not it's stigmatized. It's more widespread. As a result, there's more of a kind of blurring of the distinction between natural and artificial beauty. Right. I mean, and there's people who are transsexuals or whatever they identify as here. It's just that this gender identity ideology and this sure. idea that men are literally women and if you don't say that you're a terrible person like i've just not encountered that you know here so, even once this is a segue but when people ask me to use correct pronouns so like i'm i usually do use correct pronouns because I, I i'm a canadian i like you play I like to get along <laughs> i like to get along but the people the trans women i am like most unconflicted to use their preferred pronouns for are the ones who don't insist on it and are yeah. totally upfront about the biology because yeah. I'm sure I know, I'm sure you know, and they're probably some of the same people. We know trans people who are like, "Look, I'm a biological male. I have gender dysphoria. I like to look like a woman. I like to consider myself a woman. I think I'm pulling it off, and some of them really do. I prefer to be called she, her. And in those situations, I always do it because it's not like if you don't, you're a transphobe, or they're not giving me the signal that by using those secret code monosyllables that I'm like acceding to some kind of fantasy version of biology. And that makes me paradoxically want to be polite to them. When I don't want to use correct pronouns, did you see this video from, I think it was yesterday, some from Britain, where this guy, he's apparently the leader of the trans group, he's wearing like this big pink jumpsuit. Oh, he yes. Because he, he got on and he was like a debate about trans rights and there was a woman on and the first thing he said to her, what are your pronouns? And it became like a whole deal because she properly understood that by humoring his request for pronouns, the audience would take it as I am conceding to the, the premises that govern your ideology. It's like a land acknowledgement that the guy is a real woman. You know, it's, it's, it's like a, <laughs> totally. it's like a, a lady acknowledgement. But the guy, no, but I, this, is, this is a subplot. The guy looked like a character from Pee-wee's Playhouse. Yeah, and it, was, I, I, it was strange. No, but there's, there's, there's a weird, and this isn't just about gender. There's like this whole, it's tied in with furries and this obsession with Japanese anime. Yeah. And with timeless youthful, like the, all these dudes are obsessed with these 14-year-old characters. Yeah, which Japanese is why characters. there's all this like talk of girls, right? Like Dylan Mulvaney talked about becoming a girl. Like his, his, oh, uh, like, weird. yeah, to what did he say? The something to girlhood, what oh, some whatever amount of days of girlhood, right? And he does a lot of dressing up like a girl, he wears yeah. like little girl clothes, and, and a lot of the yeah. adult yeah. trans women talk about like being a girl and like girly things and wear girl outfits, like, it's it's not really about being a woman or passing as an adult human female, even for a lot of them. Do you know the book 18 Months? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I interviewed she, Shannon. I interviewed Shannon, and she came to the Quillette Social uh, in New Orleans. And one of the things that I spoke to her, I thought was really interesting, because, plot spoiler, her, her husband decided he was trans, and the marriage, I mean, it's right there in the title of the book. I'm convinced, based on her story and others like it, I've heard a lot of his midlife crisis. You turn 40 or 45, you realize you're going to die one day. You're not getting any younger. 
you're not going to be a UFC fighter. You're <laughs> you're not like all these boyhood dreams. You could still be a baseball player, though. Maybe, but you see life slipping away. I mean, it's just it's an it's an old story, midlife crisis, and and sometimes it makes people do stupid decisions. And one way you could arrest the flow of time is by going out with a 19 year old bimbo. Right? Yeah. Or you become the 19 year old bimbo. Right. But okay. Do you think it's more, cause it seems like it's men who more commonly have these midlife crises way more so than women. You'd like why? For a lot of men, achievement fantasies, dominance fantasies. I can't you know. get hot young chicks anymore. And, I mean, I think that part of it is overblown. I think, it's about, well, I guess I'm never going to be the alpha male, right? I guess I'm mm -hmm. always going to be the assistant regional director of paper shuffling at the Midwestern paper shuffling company. Like, I mean, 99% of us have humdrum jobs, but a lot of it is how do I convince myself that I can turn back or freeze the flow of time? And so it could be the sports car. It could be the, the mistress, or it could be like, what if I'm actually this young girl mincing around in a dress? Or men think I'm sexy or, you know, yeah, like, no, that's... I don't know. This is what they say in any case. Yeah, well, what they say is wrong because um, okay. Dylan Mulvaney might be many things, but there's something freakishly hyper about Dylan Mulvaney. It's, it's like a satire of what a man thinks a teenage girl's life is like. Like, well, yeah, I mean, that's why so many women are offended by this. No, but it's, it's like, so you know, stupid and lying on the bed with your legs up, talking on your princess phone. Like um, having pillow fight. We're know, giggling. I don't know. And if we're putting on makeup. <laughs> and look at my outfit. <laughs> there was something on Twitter where a, a trans woman was bragging about how she passed as a woman. And she said, oh, I know I passed as a woman because I was in the locker room. And a woman asked me to unhook her bra. All the oh, comments under were, were from women who were saying, like, do you think women go around doing that shit? That like, would never, <laughs> never it, happen. You but, think a woman doesn't know how to take her own bra? No, but it was like some porn addict might think women come on to each other in locker rooms. And a lot of the shit is male. And, and when drag queens do it, it's funny because it's meant to be a hammy. Like, I like drag queen acts. It's fine. It's because... obviously meant to be super exaggerated. I yeah. really don't. I've never liked drag or drag queen it's acts. Fun but it's I understand it was, well, that let it's me supposed to be exaggerated and it's yeah. supposed to be It's self-aware. And now, by the way, unfortunately, some of the activist aspects of it have kind of taken the fun out of, of drag queens because in the last two or three years, drag queen performances have been co-opted as a political statement. Yeah. And drag queens are like put in front of elementary school kids. It's about breaking the gender binary. Which is and... not what drag... I mean, not a drag queen myself. It won't surprise anyone to know. But one of my writers is this guy, Sky Gilbert, who he's been a drag queen for 40 years and he's written about drag queens and he, he wrote a play about drag. And, and he's very upfront. He's like doing public service announcements at elementary school schools and teaching kids about like lgbt inclusion that's not what drag queens do we entertain people yeah it's a performance it's unfortunate because i think there are a lot like i was just in las vegas and drag race there's a show there's like a drag race show in las vegas it was very popular and i think there's probably a lot of conservative midwestern people who go to these shows or who watch rupaul on tv and it probably does help them become more accepting. Like, you know, not every man has to look like a football player and not every woman has to look like a cheerleader. Well, and because a lot of these guys are gay guys. Yeah. Oh, okay. This is fun. Yeah. It does have that vibe, but you kill that vibe when you, the music stops, 
the lights go on we're gonna light a candle and then we're gonna light trans you know. people are being eradicated yeah. so people. i mean i think i, I should go soon because I don't think I was making sense when this podcast started and I probably went downhill from there, but <laughs> we talked about a lot of stuff. We did. Um, but I think the height of my lucidity was in disc golf. We are having this conversation at a historic moment because Twitter has, I think it was announced yesterday. It is now not against Twitter's hateful conduct policy to dead name people or misgender people. And the night that I was permanently suspended from Twitter in November, uh, this was November 23rd, 2018, like maybe an hour after I got this email on a Friday night at like 11 p.m. that I was permanently suspended from Twitter for hateful conduct. They didn't tell me which rule I broke. They just sent me the tweets that I had been shut down for. Pink News published this article saying there was a new policy at Twitter that banned misgendering and deadnaming. And that exact policy has now been overturned. So I wrote an article for Substack about how the deadnaming rule wasn't just dumb because Elliot Page was Ellen Page. Like, it's just, this is part of history. It's 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 there in the credits of the movie. But it, it isn't just that the Twitter rule is dumb. The whole idea of deadnaming is so unnecessarily lurid and morbid. It's this idea that, oh, that part of me is dead. That, that person is dead. Husk, yeah, like, don't even talk about this person. Like, it pains me to think that that soul dead entity was even like walking around in this universe when really all that entity did was block the flourishing of the real me. Who's now I mean, Veronica. But of course that person isn't dead. You know, that person may have had brothers and sisters and puppies and had a bar mitzvah and worked at the local Dairy Queen and had boyfriends and girlfriends. And, and... that person is still you. It's <laughs> like you didn't just appear at a thin air at yeah. 40. Like yeah. you just and, and didn't. Th- and that's the way it sounds. And one of the reasons Shannon Thrace's book is so fantastic, the thing that she grew to hate about her husband wasn't so much that he said to Shannon, I like to dress in skirts and have a female name and I consider myself a woman. He had gender dysphoria. That's, those were his feelings. But that he insisted that Shannon be complicit in telling literal lies about his past. He fictionalized his past. So even the things about him, because they'd been together for a long time, but even the things about him that, that she loved... She wasn't even allowed to talk about those things because it was it was no longer part of the official narrative. And the official narrative was that he was a Dylan Mulvaney from the time he was a kid. Who wants to be married to somebody who your current relationship is shit, but you're also not even allowed to talk about the times when you had good sex and loved each other and, and had a good time because that was literally a dead person. How yeah, just... and that's the person that she fell in love with. So she fell in love with this man. She's a widow. And She's had a widow. A, like beautiful life like they had a good relationship until he went through this trans transformation and and yeah and she's supposed to discard all of that but that's this goes back full circle to our conversation about how why women are more vulnerable than than men because the book is painful to read because you're reading it and for half the book you're saying like shannon yeah you're putting up with this she was point. going along with so I really like Shannon. I'm not I'm not trying to diss her, but when I was reading it, I was it's like maddening. Lord, why? Yeah. Why are you being so accommodating? Like so much of that stuff. If my partner said that to me, I'd be like, no. <laughs> no. And and going with, with him to all these support groups, which were like these indescribably sad meetups. 
and participating and were, in all these like sex things that weren't enjoyable or sexy to her well, he was always crying he was yeah were, and then being so yeah being so accommodating and nice about his constant emotional breakdowns and his narcissism and his selfishness men are the worst well men not worst. all men are like this guy mm, <laughs> <laughs> you're always breaking down crying yeah well yeah. you refuse to go to work <laughs> you refuse to do any chores i'm not beautiful enough it's it's a constant struggle uh, megan i have to go okay uh, yeah sorry i've kept you really late and no, we started no no late, no, no. But, um... been... thank you for having me on that so, was yeah fun. thank you so much i know it's really late your time so i appreciate all this valuable information about disc golf and baseball Yes, and all that other stuff. (laughs) Okay, thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Quillette Podcast. Quillette is where free thought lives. We are an independent, grassroots platform for heterodox ideas and fearless commentary. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by going to quillette.com and becoming a paid subscriber. This subscription will also give you access to all our articles and early access to Quillette social events. 